So recently, the cherry blossoms have peaked at our nation's capital, and this tree is one of the most photographed among the cherry trees. They've nicknamed him Stumpy. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, Stumpy. Stumpy is this hollow, stump-shaped cherry tree located on the south bank of the Tidal Basin in Washington. And on the side you can't see, it's just hollowed out. Looks dead. But on the other side, the side we can see is just this small thin strip of bark. And that bark transports the nutrients to those few small branches that sprout into what you can see right there. You see, what's happened is throughout the years, the, the brackish waters of the Potomac have flooded Stumpy's roots. And yet, Stumpy still survives. And this spring, like last spring and the spring before, its, its blossoms just burst. And uh, it, it is, a, it is a, a cherry tree of glorious ruin, is what it is. Stumpy's resilience displays a beauty all its own. Because you don't expect such glorious blossoms from such a battered stump. But there they are. There they are. I wonder how many of us can identify with Stumpy. I, I, I think that for some of us, the story of Stumpy is the story of our lives. Beaten down and used up and handed in and worn out, and yet miraculously the blossoms appear. The blossoms appear. Yeah, and we've gathered here for worship on this Sunday, on this Palm Sunday. And we've raised our palm leaves, haven't we? And the, the, the palm leaves, uh, the, the, the green is held in the grip of worn and weary hands. You see the contrast? Living green uh, gripped in arthritic hands. Man, if you live for Jesus, get used to that. If you live for Jesus, get used to brilliant glory blossoming from brittle lives. Get, get used to a king who receives praise from palms while mounted on a baby donkey. Get, get used to the Apostle Paul's words. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power comes from God and not from us. And all of this by faith. We've been talking about faith, haven't we? We've been learning the answer to the question, what is faith? Well, let's see. Take your Bibles and meet me in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 to 40. We're going to finish out Hebrews chapter 11. You didn't think I'd ever finish Hebrews chapter 11. All right? <laughs> well, I'm telling you, if there's a Palm Sunday text, it's right here. It's right here. 
It really is. Because, because these verses teach us that God is sovereign over both the, the, the palm branch that's raised and the arthritic hand that raises it. See, that's, that's God is sovereign over that. God is sovereign over both the triumphs and the tragedies in life. That's what we're going to see here. What these, these verses are not meant to just speak to us, but they're meant to push us, to push us closer to the God who is near, who is not far. The God about whom it is said in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. You see that? Just glance over there at 13, 5. Not even going to talk about that much today, but I want you to see that. I will never leave you or forsake you. That's our God. And so if the Lord is my helper, 13, 6, I will not fear what can man do to me. These verses are meant to push us and crowd us up into that verse. Triumphs and tragedies are opportunities to come close to God. And before I even get to this text, let me just tell you why this really matters today. There is a hurting church in Nashville this morning. I cannot imagine... What it would be like to be the pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church. As the church has gathered and they are seeking God, and some are asking, why? Why the killings on the campus? And heaven is silent. And I think that's what makes it so hard. You know, if we only knew why, somehow we assume that if we just understood why all this happened, it would make it easier to deal with. It won't. Even if we knew why, it still wouldn't make any sense. They don't know why. And yet they still gather. They still, they still sing. They still pray. They're still going to hear the word. They're going to come close to God. And what do you call that? I tell you what you call that. You call that enduring faith. You call that enduring faith. And that's what we're going to see here in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 to 40. Enduring faith in the God who is sovereign over the triumphs, the God who is sovereign over the tragedies, and the, and the God whose son rode into both. That is where we're going today. As we look at these verses, I want us to see the, the God who is sovereign over triumphs and tragedies and the God whose son rode right into both. Hear these words. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. 
Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. This is the Word of God. Oh, well, you can tell that the letter to the Hebrews was written by a preacher. I mean, who else would say, and what more shall I say for time would fail me? Preachers are always running out of time. It's like, a, it's like the clock, is, they, they've just decided to put the preacher on the clock now. And here he's been talking about all of these Old Testament saints and heroes. And now, now he's just got to run off a series of names because he's running out of time. But you can see in verses 32 to 35 that there are times when God determines to triumph through faith. See, that's what's going on here with these names. These, these three pairs of names, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. David, Samuel, they, they were leaders in the period of the judges leading up to the Israel's monarchy. And, and I mean, they were just amazing, amazing people of faith. Now, to be clear, to be absolutely clear, each of these leaders, each of these leaders lived flawed lives. And so the preacher did not list them because they were sinless. Rather, despite their weaknesses, God used them. God used them. And so, and so look what faith can do. Faith can conquer kingdoms. Faith can enforce justice. Faith can obtain promises. So, so the preacher here is telling how these leaders God used to fulfill his promise to Abraham that through their faith that all nations would be blessed. All nations. So faith can accomplish. Faith can build a righteous government. Faith can do that. Furthermore, faith can triumph over deadly odds. Look at verse 33. The mouths of lions were stopped. Who does that remind you of? Doesn't that remind you of Daniel in Daniel chapter 6? And then what about verse 34? Faith quenched the power of fire. What's that remind you of? Well, doesn't that remind you of Daniel chapter 3? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three Hebrews, three Hebrews in Babylon threatened with incineration for not bowing to the golden idol of Nebuchadnezzar. Why look at verse 35. Faith can get a child raised from the dead. 
This, this likely refers to the widow of Zarephath in 1 Kings 17. 1 Kings 17, write down 1 Kings 17. And, and it could also refer to the Shunammite widow, the Shunammite widow in 2 Kings 4. 2 Kings 4. So just write down 1 Kings 17 and 2 Kings 4. So you see what's going on here? The, the, the preacher to the Hebrews, he's, remember, he's talking to a, to a congregation that's predominantly Hebrew. And so the Hebrew Bible would resonate with them. They, they could hear these names and those names. Names would trigger stories of faith, faith that triumphs. Yes, yes, church family, don't ever discount the power of faith to amplify the skills in your life. So while faith traffics in things unseen, while faith traffics in things unseen, the effects of faith are very much seen. God has put some of you in, in, in key positions of responsibility so that through your faith in Him, this world will look more like heaven. See, see. So, so wh- why am I here? You're here so that your classroom will look more like heaven. Well, that's going to take the power of God. Yes! Yes, yes. Through faith. I'm thinking about those of you who are pursuing or are in or who ought to pursue public service. See, see, elected or appointed. I mean, your skills could make a difference in our city, state, and nation. And the quality of your life and the skills that you have are needed in public service. I'm thinking about the skilled educators in our church, who, you know, who teach reading and writing and arithmetic. Your, your skills are there and your character is there to display the elegance and beauty of the one who is the source of all education. See. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking about about the the managers and directors and CEOs uh, in our church family, whose leadership skills set the tone of the organization they lead. This, this tone of, of honesty and selflessness and conscientiousness and industrious work. Yes. Yeah, I'm thinking about that. Wow, faith can accomplish a lot. I'm thinking about the physicians in our church whose hands are skilled and whose hearts care about those they serve yes yeah wow faith can faith can 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 bring about triumphs that are very visible here listen to psalm 78 72 psalm 78 72 says with upright heart david shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand upright heart skillful hand David led as a king through faith. See, faith can do that. Faith can accomplish that. And you may be uh, hearing me say the word skill a lot. And that's important. That's important. See, it's with upright heart and skilled hands. So, so faith is no substitute for skilled hands. Faith is no substitute for skilled hands. Now, now maybe I should have done this six years ago, but when when uh, before my cancer surgery, I, I talked to my surgeon, and I, I don't remember asking my surgeon if, if he was a Christian. Uh, I do remember asking, do you have a medical license? 
Okay. Okay. Is it accredited? You know. And, and so how many surgeries have you done on that robot? Okay. I, I'm not spring training. Okay. <laughs> All right. So. So, 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 you know, faith is no substitute for skilled hands. And just as skills can develop and grow, faith develops and grows. And, and, and faith amplifies skilled hands and, and skilled faith and skilled hands amplify your witness for Christ. See? There's a, there's a book I'd recommend uh, about connecting your work with God's work. It's called Every Good Endeavor. It's written by Tim Keller. Um, he, he wrote about a physics professor named Catherine. Uh, he says that through her faith, she has shaped the culture of her, of her coursework and her research lab. Listen to what Keller has to say about Catherine, Professor Catherine. In the somewhat sterile and technological environment of a laboratory, Catherine plays classical music to create an atmosphere of creativity and beauty. Catherine shapes the way her students respond to exciting and disappointing results. Catherine models both hard work and good rest over and above frantic work and fitful procrastination. Catherine brings her children to work occasionally to create a culture where family is not an interruption from work and where research and teaching are part of the natural flow of a mother's life. Catherine invites her students into her family's home to show that she values them as persons and not just units of research productivity. At the small scale of her laboratory and classroom, Catherine has a real ability to reshape her world. And all of this is done by faith. Faith. Wow. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, yeah. You know, that reminds, Catherine reminds me of you. Truly. See, see, faith amplifies skills that make triumphs possible. Through, through faith, kingdoms are built. Justice is administered. Uh, a university uh, improves. An economy flourishes. And a, a classroom is, is a place where students want to come. Through faith, Israel, is, through faith, Israel was a city set on a hill. Israel gave the world the truth that there is one God who is over and above creation. He's not in creation. He's over creation, you see. Yes. Yeah. Do you have faith? Then put that palm branch in your skilled hands and let's see what God can do. Huh? God determines to triumph through the triumph of skilled hands and faith. Yes, that's 32 to 35. But, but did, you see, did you see the abrupt shift in verse 35? Did you notice that? Did you notice that? Women receive back they're dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release. Wow. Wow, there's a hard left turn, right? But it's one we need to hear. Because there are times when God determines 
to sustain us through triumph, and then there are times when God determines to sustain us through tragedy. Verses 35 to 38 put us on notice that uh, some don't come home from the hospital. Some suffer innocently. Some experience unspeakable pain and sorrow to the very death. So, so verse 36, others suffered mocking and flogging and chains and imprisonment. That, that likely refers to Jeremiah, who was called the weeping prophet. Oh, oh, he was abused. Verse 37 refers to a, a, a Jewish tradition. They were stoned, they were sawn into. Who's that? There's a Jewish tradition that tells how the prophet Isaiah was tortured to death by being hacked into with a wooden saw, a wooden saw. In verses 37 and 38, they, they, were, they were killed with the sword, went about in skins of sheep and goats and destitute and afflicted and mistreated. Uh, 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 that is likely the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's called the intertestamental period, uh, the Maccabean period, the Maccabean period. In the second century B.C., a tyrant named Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus Epiphanes, he added the name Epiphanes to himself. The word Epiphanes means God manifest. That's what he thought of himself. And he ruled Israel and he was ruthless. He was vicious. He sacrificed swine on the temple grounds. He would set pork in front of Orthodox Jews. And if they refused to eat, he tortured them. One mother watched her seven sons perish as Antiochus Epiphanes slaughtered them before her eyes one by one for their faith. And when the youngest son remained, she looked him in the eye and said, you be brave and join your brothers and soon we will all be together. Yeah. Yeah, no wonder verse 38 says, the world was not worthy of them. And then we come to verse 39. And church family, you have got to get this verse. This verse will keep you from quitting. This verse will keep you persevering. Verse 39 says that God, through his scriptures, testified. God, through his scriptures, gave witness. Gave witness. God commended all these through their faith. Whether triumph or trial. See, this is critical. This is critical. There's a temptation to think that the difference between those who triumphed in 32 to 35 versus those who suffered tragedy and died from it in 35 to 38, that the diff what's the difference? Well, the difference must have been the quality or quantity of their faith. And that's not what this says. Please don't ever think that, you know, if I believe enough or trust enough or give enough or serve enough or preach enough, well, then, then such faith will somehow enable or obligate God to bless me. And, and therefore, if I'm not blessed in finances or health, or, then somehow I didn't do it right. I didn't believe enough. I didn't serve enough. I didn't have enough faith. 
Church family, none of these people in Hebrews chapter 11 had flawless faith. None of them. They were all broken in one way or another. It's not the quality or quantity or purity of my faith that decides whether I face triumph or tragedy. You say, well, what is it then? The Bible says this is a difficult truth that we must believe. The Bible teaches that it is God's mysterious, sovereign will who determines those who live a hundred years or a hundred days. I mean, these verses tell us, verse 34, sometimes God allows people to escape the sword. And verse 37, others perish by the sword. In Acts chapter 12, the apostle James fell by the sword. He was martyred by the sword. He was put to death by the sword. But Peter escaped the sword. So are you going to tell me that the apostle James's faith was defective? No, that's not what the text says. Some of us are healed of cancer and others of us die of it. And how God determines what God determines is above my pay grade. I, I just don't know. And you know what? Strangely, I find comfort with that because, because I don't think I could handle it if on top of painful, relentless suffering, I had to shoulder the burden that it was all because I didn't have enough faith. There's a lot I don't know, but here's what I know. Jesus is better. Enduring faith trusts that Jesus is better. Listen to me, listen to me. Enduring faith trusts that Jesus is better than what any triumph can give or what any tragedy can take. And here's why. Because this side of heaven, both triumphs and tragedies are temporary. See, 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 see that's, that, that's why verse 35 is so important because God has promised those who live by faith that they will obtain a better resurrection. See, even Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead in Holy Week, he was going to die again. But God is promising a resurrection that death cannot defeat. And so, and so listen to me, when tragedy strikes, don't say, don't ever say, you should have had more faith. We don't say that here. Here's what we say. When tragedy strikes, we say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what we say. When, when tragedy strikes, we don't say, God, if you love me, you'd get me out of this. No, no, no. Here's what we say. We say what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. The God we serve, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, he is able to deliver us from the fire and rescue us out of your hand. But even if he does not... We won't bow before you and that filthy idol you've set up. That's what we say. 
We don't say, God is mad at me. We don't say that. Rather, we say, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we live or die, we might be with him. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 and 10. That's what we say. Oh, man. And we say that because, verse 40, God has provided something better for us. That's what we say. He loves us. He's provided something better for us. And so we fix our eyes on Christ by faith. Faith has fixed eyes on the love of Christ. Faith loves Christ more than life. Faith does that. Faith, faith loves Christ more than family. Faith loves Christ more than children. Faith loves Christ more than grandchildren. Faith loves Christ more than, than, than our spouses. Faith loves Christ more than our work. Faith loves Christ more than my retirement. Faith loves Christ. Faith loves Christ more than preaching about Christ. Faith loves Christ more than building that dream home because Christ is the architect and builder of an eternal city. He doesn't want to just give you a home. He wants to give you a city. Faith says whether Christ gives me prosperity or poverty, I will love him. He is my reward. Faith says that Christ is my treasure beyond the wealth of Egypt. He is my possession. He surpasses all others. He's better. That's the challenge of Hebrews, and it's our challenge too. That little church in Rome is suffering, and there are some folks about ready to quit, and the preacher says, don't. Jesus is better. Gee, we just need to believe the Apostle Paul. This is what Paul said to new Christians at a newly planted church, Acts 14, 22. This is what he said. He said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's the deal. That's the deal. Life is hard. God is good. And the mission of our church is to cultivate this passionate pursuit of Christ because we believe he's better. So, so on our first Saturday service, we, we, we serve because we believe that Christ is better. Take a look at these pictures that, that uh, were uh, at yesterday's first Saturday service. We, we, why do we do this? Because, because Christ is better, that's why. Christ, our, our student ministry exists because we want to teach our students that Christ is better. Our children's ministry exists because, because we want to grow these little men and women into mighty men and women who believe that Christ is better. Our small group ministries and our, our missions trips, our food pantry, all of this and all that we say and do by faith in life or death, comfort or misery, prosperity or poverty, triumph or tragedy, Jesus is better. He's better than what any triumph can give or what any tragedy can take. And, and you know, the church that believes this and lives this is a gift to the world. And what this university community needs, what our Champaign-Urbana community needs is a congregation that loves God more than life. And when the fear of death has lost its hold, man, you are free. You are free to the triumphs and tragedies from God. You are.
You are, you are, yeah. Because he's sovereign over both. Yeah. And how does all this happen? How does all this take place? Well, I haven't forgotten. It's Palm Sunday. Right? And we've been waving branches. And the scripture says they took the palm branches and they went out to meet Jesus. Why palm branches? Why palm branches? Ah. Well, palm branches were symbols linked to triumph, the triumph of the Messiah. And these people were waving these branches and they were looking for deliverance. Not all of them were looking for spiritual deliverance from sin. Some of them were looking for military deliverance from Rome. Yes, you, yes, of course, you read the scriptures and Jesus' ministry was a ministry of triumph, the triumph of miracles and signs and wonders and otherworldly teaching. Uh, uh, Jesus once said to disciples of John the Baptist, you go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, the, the, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the good news preached to them. What triumph, what triumph, yes. The palm branch signaled the arrival of the king, yes, yes. But don't forget the baby donkey. You see, the baby donkey signaled the kind of king that God's people should expect. The king of peace. And so Jesus intentionally rode into Jerusalem on the back of a baby donkey to fulfill Zechariah 9.9, the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9. Your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation, as he is mounted on the foal of a donkey. A little donkey was so timid, needed to be tethered to its mama to get into that city of Jerusalem. In fact, some scholars don't even call it Jesus' triumphal entry. Some, some have titled it, I think really appropriately, Jesus' donkey entry into Jerusalem. Huh. This Palm Sunday, we need to reflect on what it means to follow a king who rejected the way of violence. Don't you leave that baby cold out of Palm Sunday. Jesus' way to display his power and glory was through self-giving love. And you know, you know what happened just before he went into the city, don't you? Let me remind you, in Luke 19, 41 to 44, says, now as Jesus drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. So here he is, you know, from the crowd's perspective, they have the palm branches. From Jesus' perspective, he's on the baby donkey watching. They're shouting and praising. He's weeping. He's weeping. Did you get that? And he's saying, oh, Jerusalem, if you had known even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side and level you and your children with you to the ground. And they will not leave you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. You did not know the time. What's that? The time of your visitation is Jesus' arrival. Here is your king. What will you do with your king? What will you do with your king? Well, we know what they did. You see this, don't you see what Holy Week is about? The palm of triumph on Sunday 
would soon become the donkey humility on Friday. You see that? See the, the triumph and the tragedy. Jesus knew this, and yet he chose this for us. Holy Week is for us, you know. Jesus goes, from, Jesus goes from donkey on loan to an upper room on loan to a cross on loan to a tomb on loan for us. We wouldn't go this way. We couldn't go this way. But Jesus does. His glory, our deliverance. Church, Good Friday always comes before Resurrection Sunday. Tragedy is the pathway to triumph. That's how God rolls. And enduring faith follows the one who sits atop the baby donkey. And from that pulpit, Jesus preached the way to life eternal. Hmm. There's a great little exchange in this um, limited series called The Chosen about the life of Christ. Jesus does something and Peter says to him, this is different. And Jesus' response is, get used to different. You've always done things differently and they've never failed. Like the time you turned water into wine, or like when you rubbed mud on the blind man's eyes so he could see, or when you healed the paralyzed man because his friends truly believed, and like the time you entered Jerusalem riding on the back of a colt, and they asked, who is this? And they, along with the rest of the world, would soon know. They knew you as the one who healed the sick and fed the poor, the one who turned lives inside out and upside down, the one who had 12 close friends, raised a man named Lazarus from the dead, and told a cripple to get get out of bed but soon soon they would see you are more than anyone who had come before just in time hope had arrived some cheered and cried hosanna save us save us now please save us they waved palm branches and laid them down so you wouldn't have to touch the ground children sat on the shoulders of parents as they pointed to the one they'd been waiting for echoes of jesus is lord filled the city as you moved toward the beginning of the end and we thought that the king was coming to take his crown. But you knew the king was coming to be buried in the ground, to bring us from lost to found. Good arrives only to die, only to rise, only for the world to realize that you are who you say you are. 